Every time we assemble together to praise God, how wonderful it is to know that God's hand is in everything we do in our lives. This wonderful world that we have, our ability to live as brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, how blessed we are. Let us never lose sight of that and give thanks to God every day for the privilege of being able to do just that in our lives. Last Sunday we had a lesson entitled, Why I Am God's Child. I want to follow that up this morning from Colossians chapter 1 again. Mark that, we'll be looking at several passages there and some other scriptures also. But we remember that because we are God's children, we can follow His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one who saved us from our sins. As a result of that, we are members of His spiritual family, His spiritual body. And that is an eternal family and body. It does not have an ending to that, how wonderful it is. So I want to live my physical, temporal life here as God's child on earth so that I can eventually live my eternal life with God and all of His people throughout all ages. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to show us how to follow in His steps. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21, I will follow in His steps. And this morning I want to mention four things why we should all desire to follow the steps of Jesus in our lives. Turning our lives over to His complete, eternal direction. Point number one in our lesson this morning, Christ is the head of of the church. Look at me in Colossians chapter 1, the first part of verse number 18. Colossians 1, 18. He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. That word head in the Greek language means he is the originator, the beginner of it. Christ is the supreme chief of the church. He himself said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church. After Peter had confessed to him that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that foundation that Jesus is the Son of God, he said, I will build, I will create and establish my church. We know that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against that church. That's what makes it so strong and powerful and wonderful and why I want to be a part of that church. Turn with me to first, again, we're coming back to Colossians, but turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse number 20. Ephesians 1.20. Paul there said, For he... Wrought in Christ, God's doing this, which raised him from the dead, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You see where God ranks Jesus as the leader 
of his church. He is the head of the church. Question. Why would anyone want to think in his own finite temporal physical mind that he could improve upon God's church? Think about that. Why would any be anybody be so presumptuous as to want to add to something that God has said is perfect? Why would anyone want to subtract from anything that God says is perfect? You see, Jesus established his church. It's perfect. It is eternal. Yet as we look through the world today, we see thousands upon thousands of different man-made religions. People who have been so impressed with their own brilliance and wisdom, I can do better than this. I don't mean to be unkind. But when I think that I've got a better idea than God, and I can improve upon God's word, that surely is blasphemy of the, son, of the word of God. It can't be anything but that. Let that sink into our minds today. And the Apostle Paul tells us, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. How I can solve that problem of trying to argue with God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 13. In the middle of the sentence talking about God's church, he said, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, completely matured in Christ, by following Christ, unto the, matru- uh, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. That's a magician, the slight of hand whereby they weigh and lay, lay in white to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may we grow up, may we mature and establish our faith in Him and all things which is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. You see where our foundation is and where therefore our hearts and minds and souls need to be? We will dedicate ourselves to the head of the church, following His will. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Did you ever see anybody survive a crucifixion? No, it never happened. They always gave their life. I am crucified with life. I, Christ, I am giving my life for Him. Yet it is not I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Folks, that's real. That's personal. That's individual, isn't it? If you had been the only person who ever walked planet Earth, you would have required the blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation. But thanks to God that he gave his blood for everyone who has ever lived who will obey his will. Christ, therefore, is the head of the church. Therefore, he is the head of my life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 13, the head of every man is Christ. Thanks be to God that Christ is the head of the church. Point number two in our lesson this morning, 
Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Go back with me to Colossians chapter 1. Can you imagine on that Lord's Day after the crucifixion the disciples go to the tomb and the door has been opened. Jesus is not there. Just as he had said he was risen from the dead. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 the last part of the verse. Who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead? that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word firstborn has two different meanings in the New Testament. Point number one is it means never to die again. Jesus raised several people from the dead, but they later died. Jesus himself died a physical death, but he was raised never to die again. That's the difference. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning in verse number 10. Then the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, For it became him, that's Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Talking about Jesus. Both he that sanctifieth and they which are sanctified are all in one. For which cause he, Christ, is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church I will sing thy praise. And again I will put my trust in him, Christ. And again, behold, I and the children of God hath given me. That God hath given me. For as much in as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he, Christ, also likewise took part of the same death that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It is Christ who through his death gave us the privilege of living eternal life. We are his children saved by his eternal blood. Therefore we shall be raised from the dead never to die again. Paul said this way in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord you see it could never have happened unless Christ was raised from the dead and secondly the second meaning of firstborn means that we have been made holy H-O-L-Y that means we have been sanctified we have been born anew in the Lord's eternal kingdom. When we come to appreciate fully what that means in our lives. He died so that we could live with him and for him. Think about this. Jesus gave his life for me. Am I willing to give my life back for him? He lived a perfect life. I can't do that, nor can you. But for 33 years, he was shedding his blood for my sins so that I could live with him eternally. Will I give my life back to him? We as Christians should be eternally thankful 
that we can be called the children in his church. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 23. Hebrews 12, 23. Hebrews writer was writing this to Christian who, who to Jewish people who had lived as Jews but then became Christians. Hebrews 12, 23, he's writing this to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That's Jesus Christ. One born, lived, died, risen to live again. These names are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of all just men made perfect. My life was complete when I came out of that watery grave of baptism. And my life becomes more whole and more precious and more complete every day that I live my life to God. We dedicate ourselves to Him every day, all day, until the last day because we are His children and we're so thankful for what He did in our lives. Point number three in our lesson this morning, Jesus Christ has the fullness of God. The fullness of God, F-U-L-N-E-S-S. Go with me again back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 19. There Paul says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, Christ, should all fullness dwell. That word fullness means complete. Everything that is needed that's complete. You're building a house. You need all the materials available. You're building an automobile or a rocket ship. You have everything you need. The cook has every item in the recipe she needs to make the meal. It is fullness. It is completeness. And Jesus Christ is that fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. Yes, he took upon the form of a human being just like you and me. And he did it without sin. Look over in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 9. For in him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a form of a human being. I cannot, you cannot conceive in your mind what the eternal Christ looked like. But he came down to here to look like you and me. To live a life like you and I must live. Because he was complete in everything. He was complete in perfection and love and his power. And he demonstrated that he was God's son. You realize that in the beginning, as Moses said in Genesis chapter 1 verse number 26, God said, let us make man in our own image. I didn't evolve from some lower form of life. I was created as a human being, the nature of God. I've got a mind, I've got a heart, I've got a soul. And that soul will live forever. My physical body will decay and die at some point in time unless the Lord delays his coming. But my soul will never die. That is the completeness that we find. The fullness we find in Jesus Christ. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, Paul refers to Jesus as God in the flesh. And I can't comprehend this. The eternal, invisible God come down, comes down to this earth and looks like you and me, a human being. And while he was here on earth, he lived a physical life. He was hungry. He was tired. Bad things happened. He saw all kinds of difficult challenges in his life. So therefore, Jesus knew what it was like for you and me to face the vicissitudes of life and the problems and the challenges that life brings to us. He walked as a man, suffered as a man, had joy and peace as a man can in Christ Jesus. He even suffered that horrible, barbaric death on Calvary's cross. You see, we've calmed down death in our prison sentences, haven't we? Electrocution, it happens that quickly. Or an injection that puts you to sleep and you don't wake up. That's far drastically different from having one's hands and feet nailed to the cross. The crown of thorns packed down deeply into his skull. Jesus understood what it meant to be suffering, to be tormented by that barbaric death that he died at crucifixion. Look within Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. This shows us truly the fullness of Christ. 4.15 of Hebrews. For then we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's the negative. The the positive says that we do have a high priest who was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to live in a world of Satan's temptations. But he was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. Glory be to God for the fullness that Christ demonstrated in his life. He did that so that you and I can come to see and appreciate the fullness of salvation that God has given to us. And we come to appreciate the fullness of what eternity is all about. That's why I want to live another day and another day and another day until my last day so that I can live with God eternally. Can you imagine what it will be like to be in the spiritual and physical presence of God Almighty, Jesus Christ, His Son, and the saints of all the ages throughout all eternity. Folks, that's what this life is about right now. To prepare us for that. And may our eager anticipation continue growing every day in that regard. Point number four in our lesson this morning. Christ reconciles me from sin. Reconciles me from sin. R-E-C-O-N-C-I-L-E-S. Go back with me again to Colossians chapter 1. I want to look in verse number 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 20. 
and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reckon all things to himself, by him I say whether they be things in heaven or in earth. The word reconcile means to bring back together again. Two folks who are separated because of some argument or disagreement. They come back and they talk it out. They repent. They forgive one another. They're brought back together again. In harmony. In peace. and contentment. Once more. You see, when I was born as a child and you were born as a child, there was no sin in your life. You didn't know what sin was. But it wasn't long. As you lived in this human world, you realize what sin is all about and the temptations of sin come to every one of us. And we all fall away from God. But when we become God's children, we're reconciled to God. Brought back into the harmony that we accept and peace that we need in a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the beautiful part about God's forgiveness is when our sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb, it is as if they never occurred I remember some sins I've made in my life. I may guess you do too, and I'm glad I remember them so that I don't want to repeat them. But when I'm forgiven of those sins by God, the slate is wiped clean. The day that you were baptized in Christ, if you're a child of God, you were raised from that watery grave of baptism, cleansed from those sins, free from all that burden and difficulties. That's why God, when we follow God's command to hear the Word of God, Believe the Word of God. Repent of our sins. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And be baptized. Why? For the purpose of washing our sins away. Eliminating sin from our lives. Then I can live a peaceful, right, correct relationship with God. And you see, as I and you, as God's children, we want to live like God wants us to live. Jesus lived here on this earth as a human being to show us how it can be done. He was walking those steps for me. He was walking those steps for you so that you and I all can see the difficulties and challenges of living a human life, but it can be done to the glory of God. And that wonderful, blissful relationship that you and I have as children of God makes our lives worth living, doesn't it? As God's child, I can now know that I have the privilege of living my life to honor and glorify Him. Therefore, I will gl gladly give my life and my will unto him every day of my life, and allow his word and his will to rule my life. As God's child, and if you're a child of God, you have been bought and paid through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. That means you are in God's eternal family right now. And as a result of that, in the fullness of Christ, you and I and all of us who claim to be Christians should challenge ourselves to live. Notice the personal pronouns I'm going to use here in this last sentence. I will live every day until my last day following his precious, beautiful, holy will. I want to do that because I have been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. If I am willing to do that, then I can be eternally reconciled with God throughout all ages, world without end. So can you.
As we stand to sing this song that's been announced as a song of invitation. Are you willing to give your life to God as He has given it for you? If you're not yet a child of God, you've heard the Word of God, surely you believe the Word of God. Are you willing to repent of your sins? Confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in that watery grave of baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, your sins have been taken away. And you can live with God now and forever. Why not do that right now? You have the opportunity. Or if you're a child of God who's wandered away, God still loves you. You're still His child. Come back home. Confess those sins. Repent of them. Pray with you to be forgiven. If may assist you in doing that, come to the front of us together. We stand and sing the song.